This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists. For more about UBCP Actra, visit ubcp.com. That's ubcp.com. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger. And today I am honored to welcome Crystal Bellint to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Crystal's taken us to some fascinating places, eras, and moments in time and space on both screen and on stage. On screen, she's taken us to 1950 San Francisco as the lead in Brit Box's The Bletchley Circle, San Francisco, and into the heart and life of Iris Bearden, a former cryptographer turned brilliant sleuth. As Grace Walker on Disney XD's Mech X4, she made us laugh and feel big feelings as she struggled to accept the fact that her sons were the pilots of a giant monster-fighting robot but not before being brainwashed with monster DNA by Peter Benson, of all people. Crystal has taken us along with her to a lot of universes and genres, from Arrow to Rachel Talalay's A Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting, from The Hundred to Prison Break and to The Good Doctor. In theater, Crystal has taken us to emotional states where stage and screen collide, like in Helen Lawrence, the phenomenal collaboration between artist Stan Douglas and television screenwriter Chris Haddock that set a film noir story in post-World War II Vancouver. And then the musical City of Angels, about a writer trying to adapt his novel into a screenplay and the world of the film he is writing. Now, I don't know exactly where Crystal is going to take us in Midnight Mass. The highly anticipated supernatural horror series from the team that brought us The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor hits Netflix on September 24th. Much about Midnight Mass is still shrouded in mystery at this point, but here is what has been released so far. An isolated island community experiences miraculous events and frightening omens after the arrival of a charismatic, mysterious young priest. That's all I know, save for the fact that Crystal appears throughout the series, and also that I am simultaneously excited to watch her and excited to be terrified. And today, well, I'd like Crystal to reveal how she started on this path in the first place, and also where, among the multitude of characters and projects and genres she's inhabited or visited, she feels most at home. Crystal Valent. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Yay! I'm so excited to be here. Um, thank you so much for inviting me on, and I'm, I'm, I'm just really thrilled to, to come and chat with you. I, I've, been, I've been waiting for this one for a while. Yay! 
Yeah. And I can't believe you're doing a Mike Flanagan project, which we will be talking about later, and that we can't talk that much about it, but I'm still going to try. I warned you before, I'm still going to try. How, <laughs> okay. would, how would you, I mean, we are a few weeks out from the release of Midnight Mass. How would you describe this particular moment in your career and your life? Oh, you know, it's... Um, I was just so funny. I was just having a text conversation with one of my best friends in Alberta. And I was saying, you know, like, it's really easy. I think there's a trap. I think that a lot of actors fall into, or I'll speak for myself. I don't want to make assumptions about anyone else's journey, but a trap that I have a tendency to fall into when exciting things are happening, which is to downplay them. And which is to sort of like, kind of be a little like too cool for school for the exciting yeah. things that are happening. And can I just add, especially yeah. Canadian actors, and totally. especially Vancouver actors, mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. why I exist. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's really easy to get caught into this, like, I'm going to just pretend like it's all cool. It's no big deal. And for this project, more so than any other project that I've worked on previously, um, it feels like I can feel the buzz of it. And it's really difficult to contain. Like, I'm really excited. I'm excited for people to see it. I'm excited that I got a chance to be a part of it. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see it as a fan, as a, as a, as just to watch it, to view it as a fan of Mike's work and of the team at Intrepid's work and all the other, other actors that are on the show. I'm, I'm just so thrilled. So, um, it's really feeling like, uh, if you could see my hands, if everyone could see my hands, it's a lot of buzz. It's a lot of buzz. Yeah. I'm feeling it in my body and I'm, I'm just really grateful and, and over the moon about it. Good. So let's, let's hold on to that then. Cause we are, yeah. we are over the moon for you as well. And that, this is where <laughs> our journey is going to start with okay. that excitement. Mm -hmm. But you're going to tell us where your story starts. Okay. So let's, let's go back to a moment in your childhood, maybe maybe it's in your childhood, where you were crystal bellant in your like purest, most distilled, passionate form. Hmm. So, um, okay, I grew up in a small town. I grew up in a really small town in Alberta in the Rocky Mountains, a place called Canmore, Alberta. And uh, at the time that I was growing up there, there were, it was a small community. I think that the, for most of my childhood, I think there was maybe... 5,000 people less than it was it was quite quite small um, I mean not as small as some other small towns obviously but it was everyone knew everybody yeah um, and my my family was quite a well-known family in town my grandparents had been there since the 50s or 60s early 60s and my grandpa worked in the mine and so there was quite a community that we all knew each other um and I was the only black person in that community for a long time, for most of my growing up. <laughs> so including my family. Only. Yeah. So my family is all Caucasian. My, I grew up with my mother's side of the family, which is uh, Hungarian. And so I existed in this little entirely, almost entirely Caucasian bubble uh, all through my upbringing. Um, wow. Yeah. And so it's only now as an adult that I'm starting to realize like how that sort of shaped the kinds of things that I wanted to do or the things that I like sought or the, how it sort of created the foundation of who I am just as a person. 
Mm. Um, and I was alone, an only child, so I was alone a lot. Uh, as a, I didn't have a lot. I mean, I had my school friends, but I didn't have any siblings to sort of be around um, until my cousins were born, which was, I think I might have been six or seven at that time when they were when they were born. Mm. So I spent a lot of time on my own, which meant that I had to kind of come up with things to do a lot. <laughs> and my mom was a young mom, so she worked a lot. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. My, my grandmother was pivotal in my upbringing and, mm. and uh, absolutely framed a big part of who I am. Um, and it's interesting because I have these recordings and I just rediscovered them not long ago of me recording like little interviews on a tape recorder. I must be four or five years old Um, and singing songs and making up things and just imagination stuff. Mm. So as far as the purest version of myself, I would say that's probably a good starting point was just the imagination that I had to come up with being by myself, being on my own a lot, being an only child, being a singular version of myself in my community. Um, And then from there, I think, you know, I was a child of the eighties. There was a lot of TV watching. Yeah, there (laughs) was, wasn't there? It was a a great time for television as well. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of TV, a lot of movies, things like that. And I, I think at a very early age, I just kind of fell in love with the idea of movies and television and telling stories. And, and I mean, I would watch, there's certain movies that I would watch a million. I mean, I've seen the princess bride. I used to be able to quote it word for word. I mean, I've seen, I would rewatch them and I would like pick out things like at an early age, you know, I'm talking elementary school, single digits. So I, I, my love for film and television, and then eventually what grew into stage love as I got into junior high school and high school and, you know, I joined the local theater company when I was 13. Wow. Um, you know, so I, I just really, really got into the arts um, very early on. And my love for it, my passion for it was sort of just spread as a child yeah. and then grew from there. I'm stunned that you were the only black person in Canmore. Uh, I, I had no way. I mean, I don't all I know about Canmore was the. Royal Canadian Air Force, you know, skit where they had Mike from Canmore that they would Mike interview. Him. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, do you know Mike? But, you know, like, I, I'm curious about how that impacted how you saw yourself and th- further to that, how that impacted how you consumed film and television, you know, when you're watching, you know, because I remember growing up in the 80s too, looking for anybody who kind of looked like me. There were not a lot lot of South Asian, Ukrainian Montrealers on television at the time. you know, but but any time I would see kind of a dark haired person, I'd be like, oh, that's kind of like me. You know, so what, what about for you? Like, did television offer or or film for that matter, you know, opportunities, you know, for you to feel represented? I mean, we talk about a, a lot about what diversity and inclusion and representation means. And I think part of it is also helping people who, who might f- otherwise feel islanded, you know, feel mm-hmm. feel seen, feel part of something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like I said, it's, it's only really been in the last you know, I want to say in the last few years, but I would say probably really uh, in a concentrated way in the last year mm. and a half or so. 
um, that I really started to go deep into an investigation of my own identity hmm. as um, as a mixed race woman uh, in an in in an upbringing that was white. Um, you know, I did have some pockets of, of, of color <laughs> in my world. I mean, I had friends who were also mixed race who were not black, but, you know, I had some, a couple of friends who were like Japanese and Swiss or, um, or something like that. I had, uh, as I got a little older, there was a family that grew, came to town that had, um, their sons were black, but their mother was white. So mm-hmm. also different identity thing. Um, you know, I, I, I don't recall specifically seeking out people who looked like me on camera or on film or on television. But what I do know is that for a really long time, I didn't see myself as black Hmm. because of the upbringing that I had because of the people who I was surrounded by, you know, you see yourself and the people who you're surrounded by. Right. So I didn't really, and, and as a result, I mean, I, I think a lot of the kids I grew up with, a lot of my very close friends didn't see me as black. They didn't see me as an other, you know? So mm. in some ways that's really lovely because it, there was there is sort of this um, unspoken natural inclusion. But for the person who is the other, it does bring up complicated questions later on as I'm experiencing now of like who, or as I have throughout my, my adulthood, you know, who am I? How how do I check that box? You know, I don't feel any different, but I know the world sees me differently. Yeah. You know? Um, So it's a really interesting dichotomy that I sort of, I kind of am trying to unpack in my own way, both on my own and, through therapy, <laughs> just through talking about it, right? Which yeah. is like, you know, just trying to understand how I, how, how I understand my foundations and yeah. how I maybe change some of the building blocks, you know? Yeah. And you're allowed sense. to yeah. change. That's what I've realized yeah. with my own, my own evolving dance with how I see myself, you know, how I see myself at, 41 way different than how I saw myself at 25 way different than how I saw myself at 16 and way different than when I was really little and and it was pointed out to me for the first time that my parents were different colors from each other right like so I'm allowed to you are perfectly allowed to change and all hail therapy that's all I'm going to say about that (laughs) but you you know we are we are in a said we like I'm an actor you're the actor I just talk to actors but you know we are we are in an industry where um you know there is a casting process. There are people who have to look at you and make decisions, you know, to see how you will fit into, you know, a canvas. Like how, I mean, how has the industry and your interactions with it, you know, impacted your identity? And, you know, like, what do you think they've thought about who you are and what box to kind of put you in, you know, for Mm -hmm. the longest time? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and this is, it's interesting because this, this, this casting process, this, the dialogue around casting people of, uh, you know, diversity, diversity in casting and um, BIPOC representation in, in, in casting and in filmmaking is such a huge topic. So it is now starting to be evolving. I mean, it feels like it's evolving like every week. <laughs> There's yeah. like a new thing that you're like, okay, this is a, now this is a thing we have to look at. We have to look at this and we have to look at this community. We have to look at these terms and we have to, you know, so 
Um, in the tenure of my career, um, I've been very fortunate. I'll just say that right out of the gate. I've been fortunate that I've been able to work, that I have been cast, that I have gotten roles. There's certain areas that I have spent some time working in where, uh, you know, I'll just say it. I mean, quite frankly, I think uh, the reason that I've been cast is that because um, I come across as just black enough, oh. but not too black. And I've and I and it was when I realized that that was happening, I was like, hmm, okay, that's super uncomfortable. (laughs) At the same time, I've also been out for our roles where a casting has flat out told me I'm not black enough. Hmm. So so it's interesting. It's a, it's a weird thing. And I'm, and again, I'm, I'm really sensitive to it right now. I just recently had something uh, that I had to do for a voice audition and they were looking for someone who sounded black. And I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) That is not an appropriate direction. Yeah. You cannot ask someone to sound black. You have to be more specific. Yeah. Yeah. Did they grow up in Calgary? (laughs) Did they grow up in South Africa? Like I need to know where the, you know what I mean? Like, did this black, did they grow up in London or did they grow up in Jamaica? Like, I want to (laughs) know, you can't just say black, but so anyways, all that to say, um, the casting process has been interesting and I, and, if, and I, what I've noticed how it affects me um, is that there's certain roles that I go, okay, they're not saying what they want here, but if I read the script and I read the description, I know what they want and I'm not sure I'm it. Mm. So I've now had to just go, okay, I'm actually going to just take a step back from that role or I'm going to take a chance. And sometimes casting just doesn't know. Like they just really don't know until they see it, as it is with everybody. It doesn't matter what color your skin is or what your background is or, you know, they just don't know. Yeah. Um, but sometimes they know and they're afraid to say. <laughs> so that's a whole other different thing. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, it, it's an interesting experience. So, I mean, you mentioned that you did, you did theater. I can't say the- I theater normally. You did theater. And after this <laughs> arm thing too, theater. Um, <laughs> yes. and, you know, and I mean, at some point you also do end up in front of a, a camera. You know, when you are, are studying and when you are thinking about what you want to be when you grow up, you know, what, what kind of actor did you want to be? Did you imagine yourself on stage? Did you imagine yourself on screen? When I... Like so, like I said, when I was younger, I think I always had the intention of being a film and television actor. Mm. And I'll, I'll actually preface that by saying I, I'm a singer as well. So I yes, started are. singing. Yeah, so I started singing from a very young age. I probably like grade school, six or seven. Yeah, um, singing like in front of the schools, like at assemblies and stuff. So I was a singer all through school. Everybody knew me as a singer. Yeah. And that's the direction I thought I was going to go is I was really going to really get into music. I'm a huge music lover. And that's the, that's where I thought my call was going to be. And then I got into junior high school and I got into theater program and theater arts and drama and things like that. And I, and I knew in my heart that that's really what I wanted to do. And of course, as a kid, I thought, well, I'll do it all. I'm just going to, you know, do a triple threat or whatever, however many things I can manage I'll do. And, but it, it became very clear as I got out of high school that, that my, really where I wanted to be was to be on film and TV and Mm. uh, in film and TV and stage became a way for me to act. 
like it became a way for me to do something. So as I mentioned, I started in the community theater program, the Pine Tree Players in Canmore when I was <laughs> yeah. Love that. I love that Canmore, despite only having, you know, a few thousand people, had the Pine Tree Players. Nice. We did. We did the Christmas Carol. And we did all kinds of weird things. But so I did. I think I started joining them when I was twelve or thirteen, and then uh, I was in the high school drama program. And we did all. I had a fantastic drama teacher named Mr. Steve Carney, and he was uh, really pivotal in opening our minds to what we could do with theater. Mm-hmm. And I think in that I, I got a love for theater and that I could do really great things on stage as well. So, you know, I eventually en- ended up in Calgary and I was doing some studying and trying to, I found an agent and I was sort of just auditioning and doing some background work and theater was a great way for me to continue to act when I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't doing any film and TV stuff and it was harder for me to start to do that stuff. So I did a lot of theater early on in my career uh, through my like early twenties, all in Calgary, um, and then and of course when I came to Vancouver, in Vancouver it's very different because it's a bigger city, it's a bigger community. So, I mean, I've noticed now, I know now that there are a lot of theater actors who do film and TV and vice versa, um, but a lot of the theater actors stay in theater, and a lot of the film and TV actors stay in film and TV in Vancouver. Where in yeah. Calgary, it's like it's all messed up, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, because the community is so small. So here I ended up just going, okay, I'm going to try and focus on film and TV. And and I found the theater scene really hard to crack in Vancouver. I was like going out for all the generals when there was a number of like when there still was, you know, all the other theater houses and um, just wasn't happening. And then I was able to book TV work and I thought, okay. And then eventually the arts club came calling and that was really lucky. So wow, it's yeah. that's incredible to me because I, I mean, I've seen you many times on stage in town and I and I you seem so at home there I can't imagine why they waited so long to bring you in I mean I'm glad that they did but what do yeah, you think that I wasn't, was I think I wasn't ready I just think I wasn't ready and you know mm. I think like with everything you know they say there's that whole thing about 10,000 hours you know and I I, I don't think I've done 10,000 hours but I know that my work has grown and the more I've done the better I God and the more confident I felt and you know confidence makes you better and you go further and so I think that's I think that's all it was and you know uh, I'll be totally again I'll be totally frank not to keep bringing this all back to color because that's not really what it's about but um, you know I got into the arts club doing dream girls yeah and and I think dream girls was a a show that it's an entirely black cast yeah they needed to hire black actors <laughs> and, and uh, there was a joke when we were all auditioning going like where are they going to find all these black actors and everyone was like all the other black actors were like we're all here we've all been here like we're all doing it it just yeah. so so when they cast the show I was lucky enough to get you know get cast in that and and um that started my relationship with the arts club so that was I was fortunate I love that it was dream girls that started it mm-hmm. off yeah okay I want to hear about <clears throat> your very first time on set. What do you remember about it? And what mistakes did you make? Okay, my very first time on, on, a, on a proper set. Because on I a proper a set, yeah. Yeah, on a proper set was a TV show called MythQuest that shot in Calgary. And it was, um, I don't remember what network it was on, but it was like a, I want to say it was like a young, young adult sort of drama. 
that was based in, as you can imagine, myths. And I got the part um, of a, a young, her name is Nephthys. She's an, an Egyptian queen, a, a mythical Egyptian queen. Loving it so far. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like 20, boof, 21, 22, something like that. I was pretty young, um, maybe younger. And it was my very first credits. So I was getting like my actor credits, which is very exciting. Um, and I got two episodes. <clears throat> and I, the first day that I was there, it was such a thrill. I think I still have a Polaroid from when they did my makeup mm. and my hair and they did like, you know, they did your continuity photos and back in the day it was all Polaroids. And so mm -hmm. I still have one of those, which is great. Um, I discovered craft service, <laughs> which was uh -oh. very exciting. <laughs> and I spent, yeah, I spent a lot of time in my trailer not working because, uh, you know, as you do, as, as that's the way the things go. Yeah. Um, so I ate a lot of craft service. And okay, can then, you be specific about what you're eating at craft service? I think I ate a lot of licorice, mm -hmm. a lot of sweets, like a lot of yeah. junk food, a lot of things that like I wouldn't normally buy. And, you know, when you're an actor, you're a young actor and you're, I was not making a ton of money. I mean, I, always, I worked a Joe job up until seven or eight years ago. So I yeah. always, I had money, but I wasn't like splurging. And you get these like fancy things across here with fancy muffins and yeah. fancy treats. And oh, there's this candy that I, I don't buy very often, but I'll eat it now. So I just gorged myself. And then they called me to set and I was like, Oh, like, the worst stomach ache. And yeah, so very quickly I learned that craft service is a tool not to be taken advantage yeah. of. Yeah. And now they change it. Now they change craft service. You have to go and ask them to give you I specific know. things. You can't just like, because I would, all, I love visiting sets and going to craft service. And that's when I will eat all my candy. I will save it. For, yeah. But now I don't want to ask for all the candy. You know, I know it's actually it's actually the best thing and the worst thing to happen to actors because like I know myself and a couple of other my friends who are actors, we joked about this when COVID started and the sets were opening and they're like, well now what am I? I can't walk out. I can't walk out with like you know three chocolate bars in my pocket and then you know I can't keep going back and getting donuts and now you got to ask and then someone's watching you and so it's actually probably a good thing. Oh, um, yeah. But I, <laughs> but I, you know that set was. Um, it was a really good learning experience. I got to work with some actors who had been around for a little while, um, some Canadian actors. And um, I got, I really was fascinated to watch how things were being done. Um, I've seen the episode a number of times. In fact, we've gone back and watched it, watched it recently. And I'm terrible. It's terrible. But Aww, again, be kind like to I pass said, you, you know, you were starting out. I did my best. I will say this. I yeah. did my best. I did my best with the tools that I had at the time. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 always fascinating to watch where you've come from and how far you've come. You know what I mean? And and yeah. uh, I think I I think I did what I I think did I did the best I could do. But it's yeah. really kind of funny to watch. Um, and and I learned a lot of just about what it's like to be on a set and you know to work several days in a row and you know because up to that point I think I'd just done a couple of days of like background work. So. Um, to have a, you know, to have a story to be able to actually like tell a story of some yeah. kind, you know? So, yeah. That so is... the big mistake was crafty. <laughs> the big crafty mistake. <laughs> I'm going to look for that on YouTube and then I'm going to watch it. And then I'm going to be like, she's thinking about how she ate so much candy in that shot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what did you, what did you want when you were starting out in your acting career? And like, how is that different from what you want from your, your career now? 
Um, you know, I think, you know, I'll just be totally honest. When I was young, I wanted fame for mm -hmm. sure. I wanted fame. I wanted like the idea of fame was so appealing to me. The idea of being able to like go and fly places and work on fancy, you know, fantastic projects and, you know, be around other famous people and all of those things. Those were things that were appealing to me, you know, yeah. uh, um, when I was young, young, I mean, like in my teens and stuff. Um, but then as I got older, I did take a terrific amount of time. I, it started to be more about the work and, and where I could be best, um, have the most fun doing it because I real, I think I figured out pretty quickly that, you know, being on set and saying like, he went that way versus like coming on the set and, and actually like telling a story and being a person and like, you know, having a life mm. um, was way different. Yeah. And so then it became more about like the quality, trying to work on being able to tell a story and be a character and like have something to say and, and things like that. And um, you know, it's not always easy because this business is such that you got to go where the work takes you. Yeah, you know, and so you don't always have control over. Like, I wish I could say, "Oh, I'm not going to do that because it doesn't fulfill me creatively," or "I'm not going to do that because it's, you know, wh whatever those reasons might be." Um, but that's just the nature of the business. But you know, I think that I wanted, yeah, I, when I was really young, I wanted fame, and now I see the pitfalls, mm. <laughs> and I realize, you know, it's I really just want to do good work and work with good people and. Yeah. be a part of good projects you know so let's talk about some of those projects then mm -hmm. when you think about the roles that you've played that have as you described been the most fun you know who or what immediately comes to mind well you know <clears throat> um I, I have to say there's i've got, probably got some top ones for sure at the very top near the very top and I don't want to pick favorites at all but you know Bletchley Bletchley mm -hmm. Circle was just uh, for so many reasons was such a thrill for me yeah um I you know it was my first time for for really leading a show yeah. um and that was a thrill you know talking about trying to downplay you know how we play it too cool for school like that was I couldn't have done it with that because I just yeah. was so thrilled about being a part of that show. And, and, you know, I'm a huge history nerd. So being in a period piece is, was like everything I wanted and getting yeah. to wear fantastic costumes and, and be in a different time period. Um, and the character, like when I, when I read for that role, when I got the audition, I immediately knew who she was, Yeah, which doesn't happen very often. You know, you, you get these, you get so many auditions in a year and you dig, sometimes you have to really dig to figure out who the person is. And like, that was one where as soon as I read it, I was like, I know who this woman is. Hmm. And I didn't have to work very hard to figure out who she was. I had to memorize the lines, but that was sort of the extent of the work I needed to do on it. And, and so when it all f fell into place for me, it just felt right. Like it didn't, nothing, I didn't, I didn't feel like I had, I was pulling at anything or having to work, you know, bend over backwards for any of it. It just, it just all felt right. Yeah. So that was, that's one for sure that I um, will always be dear to my heart. Yeah. I mean, it, it was such a joy to watch as well. And for our listeners who don't know, um, the Bletchley Circle San Francisco, it took place 
uh, a few years after the war, the World War II, Second World War, yep. um, Second World War uh, and um, Iris Bearden had been a cryptographer, had the secret job that even people closest to her didn't even know that she had, where she was like decoding, you know, messages. And then it's after the war and, you know, Iris and a lot of other women who were doing this work, they had to go back to their, you know, to their lives, you know, for whatever reasons, um, the men were coming back or, you know, they were no longer needed and they couldn't tell anybody about what they'd done. And yet they had, they had, found this agency and this and and been able to use their their intellect and their their skills and yet they were not really welcome in in society it to to be able to do that you know in that 1950s society so you know when the joy of watching that show and watching a character like iris too is like you know seeing her with all the experience she had you know living where she is she is living which is in san francisco um at a period of time when uh she was and and her her colleagues are capable of so much more than society really wants them to you know to contribute and uh, mm-hmm. and you know and the sand though it's shifting sand be- beneath their feet because you know history is not stopping things are still moving forward whether the largest society you know the white supremacist society patriarchal society whether they like it or not you know so there was like there were so many different levels to that show that I that I loved and then also the Vancouver guest stars were amazing you know yeah. like you had like you know Paul McGillian and Sheila Horstall and I think Ben Cotton was on there and and, um, mm-hmm. and I know that Sharon Stone was a fan of the show as well, yeah. like as she had tweeted yeah. that out, which was, that was such a thrill. which was really rad. But, you know, you, you, I know that like when you started, you did a lot of research, you know, like that's one of the things you said. So when you, when you like, as soon as you got the role, you were doing research. What were some of the things that you were surprised to learn about these, these women cryptographers who were decoding messages during World War II? Well, I, so I very quickly found a book. Uh, I don't remember, if, I can't remember now if it was recommended to me or if I just discovered it through my searching. Um, mm-hmm. In the days after I found out that I, that I had gotten the part um, called Code Girls. And it's a, it was at the time it was a relatively new book and it was written by an American female author who had done some research on, so just to go back, the Bletchley Circle, which was the original series that was done in the UK, a BBC series that was done in the UK, um, and who also starred a couple of my co-stars on Bletchley Circle San Francisco. Um, they, Bletchley Park is a well-known, now well-known code-breaking facility that was doing secret code-breaking for, for the allies through the UK, through the yeah. war. And and there was a huge contingent of female code breakers that was doing it, they were, they were doing it there. And they all had to sign the Official Secrets Act and nobody could talk about it for many, many, many years. In fact, many of those women took that information to their, men and women took that information to the grave because wow. they just were never, they, they just couldn't talk about it. Um, but in the day, in the years before that we did the show, they had discovered that there was, in addition to what was being done in the UK, there was uh, a whole division of female code breakers that were working out of the US once the US entered the war in 42. Yeah. 42, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was done in um, on the East Coast, actually, was where most of the female code breakers were working. And there was a whole thing called um, Arlington Hall, which was sort of set up as like a women's university type thing. But what they were actually doing was doing code breaking for the mm. US. 
and for the allies. And um, then there was also a contingent of it in the U, uh, sorry, in the West Coast in San Francisco. Um, the Presidio was sort of one of the locations that was, some of that was going on, but there was also like a secret location going on. And so what I was really fascinated by and what I thought was so interesting was the fact that, A, like we only just in like, well, this was 2018 that we shot the show. I think the book came out in 2017. So, you know, however many years, whatever that would have been, what is that? My math is terrible. It's not my strong suit. <laughs> 70 years. Me after neither. The Second World War. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. Let's Something say that. Like that 70 years, 60 to 70 years after yeah. the Second World War, we're only now just discovering that there was all these women in the U.S., and, in, and probably in Canada, who were doing the same work. So I was like blown away by that, that mm. like, A, that no one, there was no records of it really. I mean, they, they must have them, but they were only just recently unfound, like discovered. Mm. And that all those people kept their mouths shut that long. I mean, how, how crazy, like that just blows your mind to think yeah. that you would have done this work that would have saved millions of lives really yeah and helped us win the war and you can't even tell your you know you can't tell anybody you know you might tell your husband or your partner you know i just i just found that amazing but there was also this what was interesting about it was that how they found the women was really fascinating they would put like puzzles in newspapers hmm. so you know like are you single are you uh under 25 are you uh do you have children yes or no can you solve this problem this math problem in less than a minute and it would be like some crazy algebra problem or something and yeah. that's how they were finding these women like putting it in the paper next to an ad for dish soap hoping that these women would see it wow. you know just it's just you know they weren't doing like recruitments they weren't like going across the country saying like hey come in code break because all had to be very yeah. under the, come under and the be wire. a top secret code break yeah. of the US Army. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and, and then if you got chosen then you'd get like a, a letter saying come to this place and then they would you know you'd think you're going to be chosen to, you know for secretarial work or something like that and they're like no you're in this room with all these other women and you're breaking code here's yeah. this code can you you're going to be a so, hero and but totally. also you can't tell anybody about it but yeah. you will and know we're not going to tell anyone yeah. that you did it yeah <laughs> by the way you're not gonna yeah, yeah. but you so, will know that you're a hero but that kind of makes me sad i mean grateful mm -hmm. I'm, I'm i'm grateful to the to the person who wrote the book and also to shows like bletchley circle bletchley circle san francisco for telling these stories and drawing attention to mm -hmm. it but then on the other hand it makes me sad that there's pro like it just makes me wonder about all the stories from history especially a lot of women's stories and stories of people of color who that we're not hearing you know but i yeah. guess as as a as a storyteller too like there's so many opportunities and to to mine history to tell stories you know yeah. that we oh, that we don't get to Get to see we hear screen. stories all the time. Yeah, we hear stories all the time. You know, Nick is also a, a, a crazy history fan, and we often are, will watch programs on like Knowledge Network and stuff. Mm. And so many times we go, "Why is this not a movie? Like, yeah. why is nobody or a miniseries or a series? Like, there's so many stories and people who have come and gone that have changed the world for better or for worse. Yeah. That would be fascinating to step inside their world you know what i mean and or even a documentary i mean it's just anyways i, I could go on i could gush all day about history and <laughs> what i love about it so okay i want to talk so so you mentioned so you talked iris what, i talked it, iris yeah. you talked iris um is there another role who is who is right up there i mean you said you were going to pick favorites 
Um, I wasn't going to pick favorites, yeah. Um, Iris is totally well, your favorite, though. Iris is totally your <laughs> favorite. <laughs> she's like, she's for sure top two. Yeah. Um, you know, I really loved working on Mech X4. I really enjoyed that that experience. Um, that I got, the, you know, the, the young guys, I can't say kids anymore because they're all young men, and, and they were even young men at the time. Yeah. They they were such fun to work with, and the producers of the show were really lovely. And you know, I I got a chance to really again, you know, I got an opportunity to come in and like build this character over in a couple of seasons, and and I just always had fun. I always had such a fun time playing Grace. I love that show. I'm watching it oh, with my you? daughter. She's ten, <laughs> uh, and it's it is so it's funny. It has heart. And mm-hmm. Vancouver talent shines in the show yeah, as well. You know, know. like it, there's yourself and there's Peter Benson and then there's Ali Liebert and you're I'm like, yeah. wow, you know, and it's, and yeah. so people can watch it, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of like Pacific Rim for kids, kind of like, that's totally. how I would describe totally. it, you know, like there's like, you know, I like, yeah, your, your young men, they're like pilot a giant monster that, or a giant yeah. robot that protects, you know, the city from, from uh, monsters, um, but it's on Disney plus. So you can, so people can watch yeah. all of those episodes. But yeah, that's yeah. A, a lot of fun. And your character goes through some stuff. Like when you I got do. brainwashed by the monster DNA. That's kind of a spoiler. <laughs> but, you know, I just love that it was it's Peter okay. Benson as well. You know? I know. Yeah, <laughs> Peter and I had a lot of fun on that show. And we laughed a lot. And we got to do some silly things. And I have a great photograph of us. I think it's in that, at the end of season one. Yeah. Like inside like a monster. And it's just, it's just, it was such, it was silly and it was fun. And, and they trusted me to do some really fun stuff on that show. Um, and I was, I was quite sad when it ended. But it was, yeah. um, the time we had together was really, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Well, I am loving it now. Uh, and Yay. people can find it on Disney+. <laughs> Plus. You know, I'm curious, so working with, you know, the like, because there are a lot of young actors on that that show, right? You know, what did working on MechX4 reveal to you about this upcoming generation of actors? Actors. Well, yeah. Theater I mean, I actors. Say, theater <laughs> actors. Um, <laughs> I got to say, you know, like, I... At the time, I hadn't done a lead yet on the show, so I didn't really know. I mean, I, I'd seen, you know, working as guest stars and, you know, supporting roles and things like that. I've obviously seen the weight of what it is to be a lead on the show. Mm. But to be on a show like Mac School where the kids were the leads, like, you know, like our one through five were all under 18. Yeah. And, I mean, that's not super uncommon, obviously. There's a number of shows like that. But, you know, like our, our lead, um, he was a lovely kid who I watched him you know kids um it's hard to be a teenager (laughs) in a normal world and it's really I think it's really hard to be a teenager in this industry Mm. and have that kind of weight on your shoulders and he was like I think the first season he had um some support like I mean he had like just some coaching support which was I would want to like I think there's you know which is fantastic. I'm really glad that they had that there for him. But I mean, he didn't always need it. He was really, he had really good natural instincts and he was just really lovely. And all of those guys, they became like, I mean, watching them like horseplay in between takes and stuff, yeah. it was like family, you know what I mean? Like they, they spent so much time together yeah. and I would come in, you know, a couple of days, every episode or, you know, every block or whatever it was. So I would just kind of like watch it grow. And it was really fascinating to watch them 
have so much fun and still be able to like bear the weight of remembering all your lines mm. and knowing where to stand and finding your light and you know what I mean yeah. like all of those little intricacies that as actors as an adult actor like I you know I didn't start really getting on to sets till I was in my early 20s mm. which is you know and then some people are starting even later you know so as an adult actor those are things you have to learn but they were just like you know it's like like it's easier to learn a language when you're young I think it's easier to learn that stuff when you're young so it, it was really great and I, and the energy on set was way different because you knew that when they were there nobody was jaded nobody was tired you know nobody was like oh i really wish i was like you know at home with my kids right <laughs> like which yeah. happens we all get like that right <laughs> i'm like that when i'm on set i'm like oh i wish you know and then i realize wait a minute what, i'm doing what i love i have to remind myself but the kids like they're just having a great time yeah. they just get to you know like they're the biggest thing they were complaining about is oh they have to go to school for an hour now like <laughs> but then they get to come back and play with their friends you know yeah. so so you, it was infectious. That energy on set was, was really infectious and, I, and it made it a lot of fun to be there. I love to hear that, especially as somebody who's watching the show right now. Mm -hmm. So I love to mm -hmm. know that you were having fun. Um, yeah. Okay, we're gonna try to talk about Midnight Mass. Okay. We're gonna try. Um, okay, I'm prepared. Yeah. Oh, you're you're ready. You're ready. I'm, I'm ready. not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna push you for for spoilers uh, at all. Um, even though I'm like, part of me is like dying to know, and then the other part is like, well, one, you can't say anything, and two, I just want to experience it because even mm -hmm. watching the previous Mike Flanagan projects on Netflix, like it's the it's the journey. You know, is it's uh, there's there's nothing like it. So, okay. So hopefully these are are. We'll get information from you, but they're not too specific. So you'll get in trouble from Netflix. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how would you describe the, the tone of Midnight Mass? Uh, how do I describe the tone? Well, so it's an interesting thing for me to try and answer that question because I have not seen the show yet. And mm. I, my only experience of the show is what it felt like for me on for my personal experience of the show, right? right? Okay. Which is going to be, which isn't always going to translate to what the show's tone in its final form will be. So that's a bit of a tricky question for me to answer. Um, but what I will say is that I think, I personally feel and think that knowing what I've, see, I've seen of Mike's previous works and the type of tone and energy that he brings to his projects, um, that you won't be disappointed in that it's, it's, there's a, Oh, she's working so hard to answer I, this question. Yeah, I am. There's a, I just will say that there's a tension in his work that is always really pays off. Attention. I, attention, you know, like oh yeah, no, he is, I'm tense watching his show. Totally, totally. <laughs> and so like when I watch, for example, Hill House, which I am not a scary film or movie or show fan I would never have watched I probably would never have watched oh I won't say never but I I would have been less likely to watch it if I hadn't gotten the part in Midnight Mass but I realized mm. that okay I need to know more about this person who I'm going to be working for so we watched it and it was just I was just riveted by it okay. and so bent what I you know, lady? And, and like bent neck lady yeah <laughs> I still have nightmares about bent neck lady I still yes. I still wake up and yes. see her yes um it's it was harrowing, but so the tension in his work and the tension in, in not just like the overall piece, but the tension in 
the with the with the characters, the relationships that he creates. The writing is so rich and so full that I will I I, I do believe that that will translate into this next piece, and I and I feel confidently that what I know what I what I saw on the page, yeah, and knowing what Mike the magic that Mike works post-production and what he worked on set with us that that will definitely be there the tension the tone the the tension tone um the relationships you know all of those love like those beloved flanagan features i think will be there i hope will be there because i i I mean i can't imagine they wouldn't be just again like knowing what i saw how it translated to what i saw behind the scenes I feel very confident. And then just having seen the, the, the teaser, I was like, I was blown away by the teaser. I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be so good. <laughs> so were you, were you scared at all on set when filming? Like, even though you're like, yes, I, I'm on a film set and I had my hair and makeup and I know that this is all pretend, but were there any moments where you were like scared, terrified, biting on your fingernails? Um, I'm trying to think if there were anything that I was thinking. I mean, this is the thing that's interesting about making, I've never worked on something that was, you know, quote unquote horror, you know, and, 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 uh, or has a scary element to it. Um, but there's something really fascinating about seeing how the sausage is made, so mm. to speak, you know? Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of opened my eyes to, Oh, okay. I see that. I see you now. Like I see how that's done. So maybe I can like watch that and not be scared. Does that make sense? So like I can yeah. see it. So to, I guess to answer your question, I don't, I can't think specifically if there were any moments that made me go like, oh God, that's scary. But I will know, I will say that there are moments that I saw that I know will be scary. Mm. <laughs> that I'll go like, that they'll go, you know, they'll go away and they'll do their magic and they'll, you know, wave their wands in post-production that's how they do post-production it's literally with wands Mm -hmm. a wand so i know yeah (laughs) so i know that again just knowing what i saw on the page and knowing you know i i was i would say that i would be personally going but i could i remember there were many moments between myself and other cast members where we would like look at each other and go like that's going to be really cool. Yeah. <laughs> like this, or this moment is going to really be awesome, you know? Sure. So Sabrina is yeah. going to be chewing down her fingernails in this scene. Yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> what, what do you think about is like, I watched uh, Hill House and also Bly Manor um, pretty much like back to back at the beginning of the pandemic. Like once with Tiger King and baking bread and all that was done. Um, (laughs) But I found myself, I was really gravitating towards like dystopian work and and sci-fi, which is my usual jam. Um, But also horror, dramatic horror, thrillers and stuff. Like, Mm. what do you think is, why do you think I was doing that, Crystal? Like, what do you think is the importance (laughs) of being afraid? Let's unpack that. Let's unpack that. that. You know, you said you've done therapy. Let's bring it. No, but like the importance (laughs) of being afraid and of allowing ourselves to experience fear in the entertainment realm, especially during these fraught, fucked up times, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, it's an interesting question because I, uh, we had this conversation actually early on in the early pandemic days, because I don't know if you remember, but if you looked on like, if you ever, if you went on Netflix anytime between March and June of last year, I, like I lived the top, there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we all did the top, the top movie during that time was like, 
Outbreak. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with people? Why are people watching Outbreak? Like, I wanted no part of that. I was yeah. watching, like, I was re-watching, like, anything. I was watching, like, The NeverEnding Story. I was Aww. like, get me the hell away from whatever reality is happening right now. Mm. It was way too anxiety-inducing for me to, like, even think about. And people were, like, watching documentary. They were re-airing, like, documentaries about the, like, bubonic plague and then, like, Spanish. And I was like... You people are you people are screwed up. Like I don't know who you people are, but I don't want to know. <laughs> that was me. I, that was me. <laughs> so so uh, yeah. Now I'm just calling out on it. But so to, I guess I mean I don't know. I, I guess people, I don't know what the, I don't know what that is. Again, I'm I think I'm the wrong person to ask because I have never sought entertainment in fear. Like, I know mm. there's, like, a lot of people who there's, like, obviously there's an entire industry and a huge fan base of people who, like, love movies like Saw and, like, you know, like, you know, Stephen King is, like, still one of, like, the best yeah. world-renowned authors in the world, right? So, like, there's a there's a huge contingent of people, and I have no judgment around it, that that there's, like, fear and entertainment go hand in hand, and, and that's that's their jam. Yeah. And I'm like, I, cool, I respect that. It's just never been for me. Um, but just to tie that back in, like, so for watching something like Hill House and Bly Manor, what I, I think what Mike Flanagan and, and Trevor, uh, Trevor Macy and, and all the team at Intrepid, I think what, what they do, which is really kind of unique in this genre, is they don't just make something to scare the pants off you. Mm. They make something to make you feel Ugh. that just happens to be scary, right? And so like Hill House to me, I, I wouldn't qualify it. Like when I tell people about how fantastic Hill House is or like when they tell them, oh, you know, I'm in this new thing that's called Midnight Mass and you should watch Hill House or Bly Manor. I don't say, oh, it's really scary. I say it's a it's a drama that happens to be scary, which is exactly what they said to me in my first meeting, which was mm. we make, you know, we try to make good shows that just happen to be scary. And I think they completely pull it off every time. Yeah. You know, they, they, it's a human drama. It it's is. about relationships. It's about family. Like Hill House is not about being scared. Hill House about is family. about, is like, I was describing it, like when I was trying to get my husband to watch it with me um, mm -hmm. and because uh, he's like, I don't want to be scared. I'm scared. No, no. I'm like, it's like this is us. But there just happens to be all this supernatural stuff. But it's really totally. it's about emotions and it's about people. And then Bly Manor, I mean, in the end, it's a. Uh, it's about it's, it's about a, love. It's, it's about a love. love. It's a love story. <laughs> totally. You know, yeah. um, but I still I hold Mike uh, and the the team at Intrepid personally responsible for um, me chewing down my fingernails as much as I and, did. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, at and that for the part lack of the of pandemic. Sleep. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. Lack of sleep from that neck lady. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful though. It's 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 beautiful, moving art. I guess like I think the reason I was also drawn to it, like one because it's a beautiful story. Um, two, it takes place in a world that is like adjacent to our own, but not actually our own. And I like, I just mm -hmm. wanted to escape and I can't escape into yeah, things that make me um, feel joyful, you know, like an eighties movie, mm -hmm. for instance, would do. It has to be stuff that has a kind of an edge to it, you know, and then I have a yeah. catharsis, right? And then I feel better after, but the catharsis I can totally appreciate has to that. happen, you know? 
Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like watching a sad movie when you're sad, so that you can like really cry, and yeah. then you can just like let it go, right? So like it's just I, I can appreciate that, and I that makes Thank perfect you. sense to me. And Thank yeah, you. I think we got stories, there. You I, understand I, me I now? I validate you. I see you. I see you, Sabrina. I feel um, seen. I feel seen. <laughs> but I understand that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And again, those shows were like those shows have all of that you know what I mean that's like yeah. the fear and the and the and the drama and the love and you know all of those things like you know Hill House is about family it's about love it's about all grief. how complicated all that shit can be yeah. it's about grief yeah, yeah. and Bly Manor's a, I, I saw Bly Manor as a love story like that's yeah. like the through line was a love story oh for me the so, last half hour oh mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay Okay, let's talk about, I mean, we talk about catharsis, and I will say I've definitely had moments, a lot of my moments of catharsis happen in theater, in, as, yeah. as an audience member in the theater, watching people splay their guts out all over the stage, emotional guts out all over the stage, sometimes actual guts, I've seen some bloody shows. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I know you are somebody you have, we've talked about before, you've done stage, you've done screen, You've done stage works about screen and stage works that integrate screen technology. Yeah. I'm curious about how, for you, how one world informs the other world, you know? Like, and, and also, what do, what do stage actors get wrong about screen work or screen actors get wrong about stage work? Let's mm-hmm. break some misconceptions mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me think about that for a second. So stage how one informs the other i mean i feel listen i i feel i think denzel washington says this but also like so many coaches and teachers that i've worked with have said this as well it's like if you want to work out if you want to work your craft if you really want to like go like you're going to the gym Mm. you do a theater like you do theater you know i mean that's just the truth of it like theater is it's it's and then it can be and depending on the show um it can be just like a fucking siege like your your curtain goes up and you're in it for an hour 90 minutes two hours however long that show is you're in it and there's no stopping you don't get to cut you don't get to take a break you don't get to head to crafty you know licorice you know you know licorice no exactly (laughs) you're you're costume changing you're you're in it you know what i mean and and if you've got a character that plays all the time or if you're in most of the scenes or like the mountaintop for example there's no intermission you're on stage the entire time like you go they it's like you're racing that's the thing and so you're working hard and everything has to be in my opinion firing for that however long you're on stage however long you're in that show and and it and so it's an incredible workout for the actor because you are having to use all your tools to get to wherever you need to go for that show whether it's highs or lows or emotions or happiness or laughter or whatever you really got to dig deep and you really got to like buckle in and you got to just go. And if the show goes down, i.e. someone loses a line or a light falls out or a set piece breaks or whatever, you got to roll. Like, so it's, it's every single tool that you've got as an actor is, is being used when you're on stage, when you're on camera, you know, you might need your hammer, you know, 
Like, <laughs> you know, you, you got to bring your whole toolbox to a, st- a stage show. When you go to set, you might decide you only need your hammer and your screwdriver today, you know, because you're shooting short little bits. And that's also sometimes really challenging because, you know, as anybody who has ever been on a show where you've had to have major emotion or, uh, you know, ride a crazy ride, you know, you might do 10 takes of that scene and have mm. to be emotional and you got to gauge, okay, how, or it might not be on you the whole time, or you might have to get emotional, but the coverage is from the side or it's from someone else. Or you, but you, do you know what I mean? So yeah. you've got to, it's a totally different to me. It's a totally different skill set using the same toolbox. So mm. I guess if I'm going to be metaphorical, which I have a tendency to do, I would say, you know, like if you're a, a carpenter uh, by trade and you go to someone's house and they say, I need you to redo my floors, you're going to bring way more tools and you're going to need way more time. And you're going to, it's going to be way more uh, energy consumptive mm. than if someone says, can you come over and like uh, reattach the cupboard in my kitchen? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I only need you for a half an hour, and but I need it to be done right away, and I need it to be done properly. Do you know what I mean? So it's like I Absolutely. guess it's sort of in in those terms. Um, uh, you know, and I always say to anyone who I know, like I've been mentoring the last couple of years. I've been fortunate enough to be take part in some mentoring mentoring programs, and I quite often say, like, you know, if you want to, like, being on set is not you're not going to get to flex all those muscles all the time. You know, mm-hmm. you might, if you're working, say you're doing five days as a guest star on a thing and you've got two juicy scenes and the rest is like, you're just got a line, you know, you're going to get bored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're just going to get bored. It's really rare that you're bored in theater. Like mm-hmm. you're probably bored during tech week and that's kind of the extent of it. You know, the rest of the time you're, you're working. Yeah. So they take different, same set of muscles, but different, you know, you're doing this for theater and you're, you know, you're using, or you're doing this for TV and you're, um, by this, I mean, you're doing, you know. Yeah, she, she's, she, she's like, she's got, for yeah, TV. she's got her weights up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working out. I'm working out. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's different parts of your, it's different parts of your, of your craft, I guess, in my opinion, you know, and I'm sure some of that, some actors, might feel strongly the other way or they might feel like no you got to show up with everything on camera which you do um, but it's scene dependent it's day dependent it's you know role dependent you know um, and I've yet to meet a, 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 a theater actor who doesn't feel that like it's a it's a real workout when you're yeah. on stage. What about misconceptions that that the stage actors might have about the screen or that screen actors might have about the stage? do you have you encountered those like do they exist uh, yeah i mean i think i think the stage actors have get get um a bum rap when you know people often think that they're they're all like this and they talk like this all the time and they don't know how to pare it down and they all they know how to do is be big and loud and you know i i think that's changing a bit but i do still feel like people go oh i saw that guy on, on such and such a show and he's totally a theater actor. And I'm like, well, that's unfair. You know, like I've seen a lot of TV actors act maybe in a, in a more projecting way as well. So yeah. I think it's a misnomer. Um, and I think that, I think it's been a while since I've had this conversation with anyone, but I do feel that like TV actors get a, a, a bum rap for being like soft or lazy 
or you know they don't do work or they don't you know they don't have the they they may or may not have the um the chops you know what? or the quote unquote, the quote unquote chops of someone what? you know and not not everyone right i mean i'm not talking like the meryl streeps and the denzel washingtons and the yeah you know the but people have Lewis's said that world. people have said yeah. that. wow i think people have said that and, and and intonated it that like you know that Oh, well, you know, what are you going to do? You know, you, you hear it often when a TV actor or a film actor goes into a, a, a theater show, mm. you know, and you'll, you'll, sometimes you'll catch all the rumblings of, well, he, he's a TV actor. What do you expect? Or something like that. Right. And I just think that that's an unfair thing to say, you know, it is a different skill set. You know, when you are on camera, um, I just had this conversation yesterday with someone, you know, when you're on camera, everything is tight and it's close and it's stillness and, you know, and it's, it's, um, it's all about everything, ha- not everything, most things happening internally so that the camera can capture those closely. When you're on stage, you have to project. You've got to mm-hmm. be bigger because they can't see or hear you in the back row, you know, and that doesn't mean that you can't have authentic feelings um, in either of those mediums, but they, they do require different tools. They do require different muscles. So I, I think those are misconceptions that I, I will hear and I kind of yeah. go like, eh, it's not really fair. Yeah. Yeah. It's not mm. fair. It isn't fair. Film and TV actors work really, really hard. That's they all do. I'm going to say. I, I love, I love in this city that we have the opportunity to, to see film and TV actors on stage, you know? Like, totally. You know, totally. The, the Brian Markinsons and the Gabrielle Roses and the, the yeah. Kira Zagorskis. Like, it's John Cassini's. Like, it's just such a, a joy yeah. to, to watch our the- film and TV people on stage. Totally. And some of the best actors in our community, whether it's in Vancouver and BC or Canada wide, are also theater actors or, you know, like they go back and forth. You know, you've mentioned a few of them already. Like, yeah, they're they're terrific. And, and it's just about knowing like, OK, where do I you know, they've been doing it a long time and they probably know exactly how to use their instruments so that they can get the most out of they can be as rich as possible on stage and they can be as still and, and potent on camera which yeah. is just takes time, you know, and it just takes practice. I want to talk about roles. Yeah. What is a crystal ballant role? Like what mm. qualities need to be present in, in a role to get you just so excited and engaged and just ready to sink your teeth into it? That's a really good question. Um, um, you know, uh, oh, that's a really good question. I think the things that most draw me, like, you know, if I think back to, say, for example, Iris, I think what I loved about her, like, I, I really enjoy roles that are grounded, but they have um, conflict, which I know it's, I think is probably going to sound a little bit of a cliche because like who doesn't love a conflicted character who doesn't love someone who's got some like you know drama going on Mm. um i it's changing for me i mean it changes all the time i and i don't know if i could say like that's what i want to do i mean i have ideas of the types of roles that i would love to play but i'm always surprised when i get parts and i go i never saw myself as that person and then I get to do it and I'm like, oh, okay, I like this. I like this. Like, this is fun. You know, I've, you know, I've played a lot of moms in the last few years, um, you know, parents of different kinds of parents in different places and different roles. And 
um, I thought when I was, you know, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, like, what's it like playing moms? I'd be like, oh my God, it's so boring. But now I dig it because I'm like, there's so much going on. And because I'm a mom myself now, mm. there's so much, I can, I can enrich that with so much. And I see the conflict that is motherhood mm. and moms who have things going on, you know, they've got jobs or they've got drama or they've got whatever, whatever it is that they've got to try to process. I love that. Um, but yeah, I mean, conflict is a big one. I love the idea of having conflict and being uh, torn into two different places. That's just fun. You know, it just gives you like so much to mine. <laughs> what I love about it is that if like, if you were to ask me like what I, I like what emotional state, like I don't want to be in, in my life, uh-huh. like just generally, uh-huh. it would be like, I don't want to have conflict and I don't want to feel torn, but you know, if you're talking about what, who I love to watch on screen, it's people going through that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, it's like the catharsis I was talking about before, right? You work it out on screen and then you can, you know, go off and do everything else happily in your life. Yeah. Well, and also like, I'm, I'm an, I think I'm an anxious person by nature. Like I have anxiety. Um, like I literally Mm -hmm. have anxiety that I, Mm -hmm. that I have to keep in check. I have to keep in balance. And I, and I, and I do things in my life that help me to do that. Um, therapy go therapy was one of them mm-hmm. um and so i love so it's actually a nice practice for me to play a role that is like calm mm-hmm. and just knows who they are and doesn't have any questions or any doubts or any of those things that kind of like nag me as a person in my everyday life where i can just go and like put all of that it, it's a good practice it's a good like you know and 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 my hope is that maybe one day it will actually translate to who i am but but even if it doesn't it's fun to be able to do it you know and 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 to greet conflict from a place of way more groundedness and just you know mm-hmm. i'm able to like be those people and greet conflict in a different way than i might than crystal does in her everyday yeah. life you know mm-hmm. what's a type of role that you haven't yet played that you yearn to play? I really want, and if Mike ever listens to this, I'm nervous because I've, I've been putting out a lot of things to him about like, here's what I want to do. And he's like, I'll make a note. And I'm like, oh no. Um, so I have to be careful what I ask for. Um, I really want to play someone really messy like I have a desire to play I, I I think I do talking about the roles that I've played you know I have a tendency to like I said play people who are quite grounded mm. who have uh really a really kind of solid sense for the most part of who they are or where yeah. they belong and I I'm really drawn to the idea of playing someone who's kind of a hot mess mm. um you know and for for in, in the various ways whether that person is a hot mess by choice or is a hot mess by their own experiences or someone who just doesn't have it or can't get it together like i'm fascinated by role like you know charlie's theron in in monster is mm-hmm. like like uh, to get to play someone like eileen warnock like is is fascinating to me i would i would that's the kind of thing I would love to do is to play someone who's just messy and who is really struggling and really um, 
torn by their like really torn apart by their personal conflict whatever that is yeah um where you know i don't have to look good <laughs> like i want to you know where i can just be literally physically emotionally messy i would i i, I want to try something like that because i think that would be a really um interesting direction to try and i also think that it would just be so much fun what an interesting response honestly <laughs> really it's all very revealing and honestly like hmm. i would love to see if if mike is listening uh you know thinking about <laughs> character hot like the hot messes that he's created yeah. you know, specifically like if you look at hill house every one of those siblings was a disaster and it was mm -hmm. so delicious to watch. And yes, very mm -hmm. cathartic. So I, I want to see Crystal do that. Okay. Okay. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are you, are you ready to play Favorite Things? Yes. Bring it on. Uh, so Favorite Things is a segment uh, that was developed by my then nine-year-old, now 10-year-old daughter, Mari. Uh, it's very complicated. Basically, I'm going right. to ask you your favorite thing of a thing, and then you're going to tell me what it is. But the key is not okay. to think too long about it. Like, answer from your gut. Um, but gotcha. Don't just say words, though, because I had somebody come on. It was Tom O'Panikett. He came on. I said, what's your favorite cartoon character? And he was like, oh, Tom. Wait, which one's the cat or the mouse? I'm like, why? Is this not your favorite? He's like, no, I just, just wanted to say something. And I was like, okay, so it's not called words or say anything. So you know, it has to, yeah. So take a second if you need it. But anyway, it's not answer a speed round. Mind. It's not a speed round. Yeah, okay. no, it, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Favorite scene partner. Oh my god! I know I'm scene, so mean. Scene partner. Okay, okay. I gotta just think back to all my scenes, scenes and scenes and scenes and scene partners. You know, it's a two, it's a two person or a three person. You're gonna be a three person. Sure. Okay, it's a three or it's a three or I have to because it's all the same. Okay, so it's Julie Graham mm -hmm. and um, and of course Rachel mm -hmm. and I'm I can't believe I'm forgetting her last name now and Chanel Peloso from the Lipsley Circle. Yeah. We just we just had like such a fantastic time in every single forehand or scene that we ever had. We laughed till we cried and we cried till we laughed. And it just, it just every day with them was such a joy. So those are for sure my four, my three. <laughs> your are three and one. My okay. three and one. Favorite midnight snack. Licorice. Like nibs licorice. I know it's nibs! a murder. I love nibs, nibs licorice. <laughs> yeah. And I keep trying to get fancy with like fancy, like like Nick bought me like really fancy Australian licorice and I love it, but it's not the same. <laughs> it's, I mean, for me, I only eat licorice in, in the, remember movie theaters? I've started going back there, but in a movie oh. theater, you know, uh, movie, th either nibs or um, what are the ones that are like candy coated licorice pellets? <laughs> Oh yeah, goodies, um, goodies, goodies. Yeah, right. love those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cheap licorice, love it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Favorite Vancouver shot series, past or present, that you haven't appeared in. Wow. Okay, that I haven't appeared in, past or present. You know what? I really wish I'd gotten to work on the Man in the High Castle. Oh. <gasps> 
I didn't I would get have a loved shot to see you be a be a complicated, I... torn, hot mess of a person on Man in the High Castle. Right? Yeah. I know. I, I read for it and we just watched it and I was like, both Nick and I the whole time were like, why did we not get on this show? So yeah, I, I really wish I'd, I wish You would I had have been a, like a enough. freedom fighter, right? Totally. Like you, that would have totally. been amazing. I know, right? <sighs> That was oh, a good show. bummer. It was a good yeah. show. Yeah. Uh, all right. Favorite song to sing alone in the car? Ooh, this is a toughie. It's a really toughie. Okay. Okay. I have, it's, it's two. <laughs> okay, I'm One, learning a lot right, that you, you can't just give a single answer. Yeah, like, got I'm a Gemini. Yeah. I'm a Gemini with anxiety. I'm oh. the worst for decisions. Okay, so... <laughs> I'm going to say, and only because they've recently come up and I've recently been loving them. And one, I just recently did the karaoke at a party and I loved it. Um, one is, it's called, um, uh, what is it called? Armor by Sarah Bareilles, which is so good. And if you don't know it, listen to it really loudly and learn the lyrics. Cause if you are any kind of, even remotely a feminist of any kind, you will dig this I song. Love and the other one Bareilles. It's so good. And the other one is Freedom 90 by George Michael because it's so fun. It's so it's fun. fun. It's, my, it's my pride song. It's yeah. my pride song. <laughs> and that was, such a, that was such a great video as well. I don't know if you remember the video, but it was the one with all yeah. of the- um, the, all the supermodels. supermodels. Ugh, mm-hmm. art. All right, I got one more question for you. Um, yeah, so I have a few more, but this is my daughter's favorite question. For it's the most revealing. Okay. So, you know, you got to think long and hard about this one. Am I setting it up well enough? Like, I'm really like... I'm I'm, I'm nervous. I'm sweating a little bit. Okay, good. That's where (laughs) I wanted you. That's where I wanted you. Okay. Okay, good. Good. Favorite animal? Favorite animal. You know, I got to go with the tried and true. Um, Wait, just one really, or three? Well, I'm making fun of you now. I'm sorry. I actually only have a, <laughs> no. I only have one this time, which is remarkable because it, I have to just go with my gut. My gut's gonna say cat. Cats oh, of all I, kinds. Yeah, you have a cat. Like, I have a cat. Yeah, and I love and I and I and I don't. I'm not like one of those like diehard like you have to be a cat or a dog person because I also really enjoy dogs and I yeah. and love the dogs that I've loved. Um, but cats are my jam. I love yeah. cats. I think they're beautiful. And their eyes. Oh, yeah. They have a lot of self-respect, you know? Yeah. And then, like, when and they let you pet them, it's quite lovely. Yeah. yeah. And can they you tell also us don't about like... your... Sorry, can yeah. you tell us about your cat? Yes, he's, he's sleeping in the other room. His name is Vinny. And he has been in my life now for 10 years. Aww. And he is a half Bengal cat. So he's quite big. Yeah. And he's got beautiful markings on him beautiful beautiful markings and um he's talks like he kind of like has a thing where he like when he wants something yeah and and he's really lovey and he also really uh does his own thing but he also really loves people so i just i think he's just lovely and then you know he's getting it again he's he's like a big part of my life but he's sort of gotten a bum rap in the last couple of years because of the girls and my twins mm-hmm. and so the twins got like get all the attention and poor Vinny like just knows to he keeps away during the day and then at night when it's just me and Nick he comes and like you know yeah comes for love so yeah he's yeah. a pretty special guy uh shout out to you Vinny shout out and yeah. also shout out to Wade and Vanessa 
Or my cats, if they're listening. Oh, those are good yeah. names. I just realized something. I realized that I actually have a re-answer for my first question. Can I re-answer? Well, now Can I know I you're a Gemini, of course. Now I know, because I can't believe I didn't think of this, because it's, this is the real truth of it. And the real truth of my favorite scene partner is Nick, my partner. Because I thought that's he, what you were going to say, because he yeah, guessed it on... He, but that's, that's fine. So yeah, much so your yeah. co-stars on, on Bletchley on Bletchley are going to be like, well, she said us. Oh, she yeah. didn't I mean it. That's me. No, I love them it. too. I love them. That was, that was not bad. I've heard worse. But no, he really is my favorite co-star. He is my favorite guest star, co-star because not only was he on the show with me, but he's also like the co-star in all of my scene tapes, like all of my tapes. Mm. And he helps me with all of my scene work. And he's like simultaneously the best co-star and also the best reader and the best coach. And he constantly challenges me and pisses me off a lot <laughs> because, you know, that it's never fun to be familiar. questioned. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, um, so he's my favorite scene partner. I have to redo my answer. That is that I will allow it. I don't I won't get my daughter, but I think we'll allow it. Yes. I love okay. to hear. I love to hear that. I mean, I, I do also have that um, with my husband. It's, we call it dynamic tension, you know, and that there's oh, be beauty that good. comes like from it. instead of conflict or what the f it's dynamic tension because it's it's tension, dynamic but tension. and conflict, but with purpose, you know, because we uh -huh. love each other and we and we it's we want it to work, you know, and so. You know. I love that. Well, I'm going to borrow that. Yeah. Dynamic. <laughs> All right. As we near the end of our time today, um, I want to okay. talk to you about what the fuck, what the fuck moments. Uh, uh -huh. do you, and I'm going to have to say this in a particular way, because sometimes people would hear me say what the fuck, and they think it's a negative thing. But that's not what I'm talking about. Do you ever get what the fuck? This is actually my life moments in your career. Uh -huh. And if so, when do those happen for you? Well, I definitely had a what the fuck moment when I booked Bletchley. Yeah. Um, again, just because of the size of the role. And, and I, I had just come off a time where I was actually feeling really down about my career and about the sort of the trajectory of my career. I'd sort of gotten stuck in a pattern of doing a certain type of thing for a while. And I was like, oh my God, is this my life? I can't, I don't want to do this anymore if this is all I'm going to be doing. Yeah. And I was just kind of coming off a, a low. And then this job came out of nowhere and it was like the biggest job I'd ever booked. And it was like the coolest job I've ever booked. And I remember getting that job and we were in Toronto because Nick was working on a project. And I was, we were in Toronto in the, and it was snowing and cold when I got the call. We were in the lobby of a bank. We went in to just get out of the snow so I could take the call and and we were standing there and I just was like vibrating and I had it on speaker and Nick was like vibrating and we were both just, our heads were exploding. And I remember getting off that call and I think literally putting my hands to my head and saying, what the fuck? Oh my God, like this is really happening. I'm really gonna be the lead and I'm not this part and like, holy shit. Like, so for sure that was a mind blowing moment. Um, and more recently, I think even the stuff around Midnight Mass, you know, like, what little information that I have about the way the show has come out and, and how, how, you know, you know I'll be quite, you know, I don't have to pretend that this isn't a thing. Mike has been quite candid about how he feels about the finality of the show, about how, how it's come out on, on his end and what he's, you know, he's said straight, it's his favorite project to date. And so 
getting to know that wow. yeah he posted a tweet um i think just around the same i think the day that they launched the the, the teaser mm-hmm. saying you know i'll just be honest like this is my favorite project in my career to date and he was really candid when we wrapped he said similar things and so again combined with what i feel is going to be a really fantastic show just from my experience on my side of things coupled with knowing what mike feels and how he sees it like that's a what the fuck moment like what the like you know you get you get a job and you think oh i'm gonna do this job and you know whatever but like you don't think it's gonna be like someone's pivotal like experience so far in their career someone especially someone as talented and interesting as mike yeah so that's a what the fuck moment a present day what the fuck moment i'm still kind of reeling from that about like holy shit like this is gonna be this is really cool you know Ah! i'm so excited for you and um expect a barrage of tweets for me when i finally have the chance to watch the episodes and honestly i'll be watching your twitter feed to see what you think once you watch those episodes (laughs) and if you're watching it through your fingers or biting your nails like i will be doing watch Um, it during the day i'll watch it during the day like i always do I, 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 I gotta watch at night. I gotta, okay. you gotta, gotta set the, gotta set the scene, the scene and everything. Yeah. I just got, if I'm going to watch it, I just got to go for it and watch it at night. Chris Silverlin, it's been just a goddamn pleasure. Where can nice. our fans find you, follow you, celebrate you on the social meds? Sure. Um, I'm uh, I'm on my name, Crystal Blint at, on Twitter, at Crystal Blint on Twitter. And I'm a, a girl named Crystal on Instagram and that's it that's all those those two those are the main ones what no tiktok no tiktok no tiktok no i'm a little gun shy with the old i'm too old for tiktok yeah i think it's a a generation thing my 10 year old was i was like i was i was like i think i need to get tiktok and she's like no you're not allowed to get tiktok i'm like yeah she's like no (laughs) it is not for you mommy (laughs) i see people do it i see people do it and that are my age or older and i respect it no again no judgment but i just think i would be like i'd spend too much time going how does this work you have to be texting like you know nick's stepdaughter who's like in her 20s and go like can you tell me how to post this and i just you know i i have enough stuff to be like you know in my brain about i don't need to be messing with tiktok i'm good i love it i love it all right so twitter crystal balint and instagram a girl named crystal that's right that's right thank you so much thank you sabrina such a lovely time thank you for having me so fun all right september 24th netflix Midnight Mass. And I think it's a binge drop, right? So we'll be able to watch it all in one go. You know what? I'm not 100% sure how they're going to drop it. So I'm going to go ahead and assume it's going to be like most of the shows, but you never know. Never know. Never know. No no one's told me about anything yet. So you just pick it surprises. You never know. You have to wait and see. All right. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us today. Please like, subscribe, leave us a review if you're so inclined. They help us find even more listeners and we can keep this conversation going you can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com follow us on twitter and instagram and facebook at yvr screen scene the yvr screen scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me sabrina ronnie Furminger, and it's edited by simon Furminger. special thanks to mariana Furminger for recording our patreon ad to paul Furminger for technical support and to dane not Furminger devil poor not Furminger dane for the original music YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut!
In the current COVID-19 environment, UBCP ACTRA, the BC Performers Union in the film and TV industry, has been working closely with industry partners, formulating sensible and practical guidelines for all cast and crew to ensure working on set is manageable and safe for everyone. UBCP ACTRA has created a dedicated COVID-19 webpage at www.ubcpactra.ca where members can find mental health resources, financial assistance information, and back-to-work strategies and updates about the current status of film production in the province of British Columbia. UBCP ACTRA knows this has been an extraordinarily difficult time for many people, and we look forward to better days ahead. We will get through this together. Please visit www.ubcpactra.ca. A message from UBCP ACTRA.